You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to John 13, John 13, and we're going to be beginning at verse 12 here in a moment. So John chapter 13, verse 12, this is the last Sunday of our One Another's series, and um, I pray, I hope that uh, this has been a good and challenging series to you. I know it has been to me as I've been invested in it each week and preparing for it. And, um, you know, secretly, uh, preachers always hope that whatever it is they preach lodges in the hearts of everybody, right? Like we don't, we don't just stand up here just to do this to check something off. We hope God uses it in such a way that it changes our lives. And, uh, I, but I'll tell you, really, this series is one that I personally hope really lodges in our lives deeply. Because this idea of how we treat one another in the body of Christ, um, these things that we've walked through over the past few months of loving one another and caring for one another and bearing with one another and, and clothing ourselves with humility for one another, forgiving one another, like these are things that fix a lot of problems in the church. When, when we treat one another in these ways, when we take on these ideas and we keep them at the forefront of who we are, uh, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of trouble in the church that can be covered over and I don't mean covered over as in just kind of covered over to be forgotten, but covered over to be healed when the church does these things. And so I pray that even as we wrap up today, we see these things as something just really kind of keep to the forefront of our minds. Um, today we're going to take a quick look at John 13, where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And I want to give you just a little bit of a background, a little bit of a lead in on foot washing. Because for some of you, maybe you've been involved in a situation where there's been a foot washing done. Maybe you've never seen it done. Maybe you really don't know much about it. And I want to talk a little bit about what this is so that it'll help us understand what Jesus is really getting across to us in these moments, in these words. Foot washing is uh, seen by some religious groups, denominations, organizations. Some hold it in as high as regard as they do communion, Lord's Supper, uh, and baptism. There are others who sort of practice it for special occasions. I know um, churches that do uh, foot washings when they institute a new deacon or a new pastor or a new minister. I know uh, there's some, if, uh, if you know of churches that typically do a long Easter week where they kind of do something every day of Easter week, oftentimes on that Thursday they'll hold a foot washing service to mimic what happens here in John 13. The Bible talks about it in a few different ways. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament, but largely in a cultural sense. There's, there's some issues of ceremonial foot washing. The priests, the high priests, uh, have to have their feet washed uh, as part of their full body washing or cleansing before they can serve. But largely in the Old Testament, it seems a very cultural thing. And if you think about it, walking around in open-toed shoes through the deserts and the sands and everything else... Uh, it was a very cultural thing for when someone came into your home. If you were the host of that home or the owner of that home, you were at the very minimum to offer them water so they could wash their own feet. And if you were wealthy and you had servants, then oftentimes your servants washed their feet. In Luke chapter 7, when uh, Jesus, if you may know this story, when Jesus has the woman who wets his feet with her tears and washes his feet with her hair, 
There's a passage there, or a piece in that passage where Jesus looks at Simon the Pharisee who was hosting that dinner and says, you didn't even offer me water for my feet, but yet she's been washing my feet with her tears. He's saying to Simon the Pharisee, you didn't even do the bare minimum of just even giving me water for me to wash my own feet, but she is serving me in a very different way. In the New Testament, foot washing itself is really only mentioned two places, here in John 13, and then in this kind of uh, wild passage, in, not wild passage, but this different passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where Paul is talking to Timothy about uh, widows and what it means to take care of widows in the church, and he lists qualifications of the widows, and one of the things that he lists in that is that she was a person who had washed the feet of the saints. It doesn't necessarily mean that she went around everywhere and washing all the people's feet, but it really just means that she lived a life of exemplary service. And so if we only have a couple of places in the New Testament, if we only have uh, sort of these cultural indications in the Old Testament, what are we to make of foot washing? What are we to make of what we're about to see Jesus do here in John 13? I would say to you that this is one of those places in Scripture that's kind of open for your own application. I think if you want to practice it or if you're involved in it or if you ever have the chance to, I think it's a wonderful, powerful thing. I've had the instance in a couple different situations in ministry to be involved in it. One of the, one of the most powerful was a time in Honduras, and we were, we were ministering to a, a place that we went to often, a place where they called it an orphanage, but it really was girls all the way up to the age of 18, girls who had been abandoned, abused, who had been kicked out of their homes on the streets, left for dead. And we, we served them one time in a ministry opportunity there. And the entire team assembled all the girls and washed all their, all their feet just to say to them, we don't think we're above you. We're here to serve you. If you have the chance to do it, it's a powerful, powerful thing. But I don't necessarily think it's something that is mandated. Jesus is going to tell the disciples here, we're going to see in just a moment, what I've done for you, you should do for one another. But yet, what we don't see in the scriptures is the disciples ever then going on and saying, hey, do the Lord's Supper and remember this, oh, and make sure you wash each other's feet. So they clearly didn't understand Jesus' words as meaning that this was something that was to necessarily have to be done through the course of the church. I give you all that little background so that we understand this today. What we're, going to, what we're going to look at here, what we're going to walk through, is that the, the action of the foot washing itself is not really the focus. The action of the foot washing is just the example by which Jesus demonstrates servanthood, by which he demonstrates what it means to love one another, in which he demonstrates what it means to take on the role that he took on and that we would do that with one another as well. So let's walk through it, verses 12 and 13 to start as we look at the first point there in your bulletin today. John 13, 12 and 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. On to verse 14. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So the first point for us today, or question is this, is he teacher and Lord? Is he teacher of your life and is he Lord of your life? Is he teacher of my life and is he Lord of my life? Uh, Jesus has many titles ascribed to him throughout the scriptures. 
He's known as the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Christ, yes. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title, means the anointed one. He's known as the, the great shepherd. He's known as prophet, priest, and king. He's known as the son of God, the son of man, the son of David. John identifies him earlier in John's gospel as the logos or the word, which was a Greek word that meant everything that had existed from day one. And so it does us well whenever there is a title ascribed to Jesus for us to pay attention. And here he uses two. He says, you've identified me as teacher and Lord. You're right, I am. And I want to look at those two for just a moment. He says, first, he's the teacher. He's, he's the rabbi. In biblical understanding of what it meant for someone to be a teacher, to be a rabbi, it's not someone who just simply sort of passes on knowledge, but it's someone who passes on knowledge with authority. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is teaching in the temples, it says in verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And so in this setting, when, when Jesus says, you've identified me as teacher, and then he says, rightly so, I am your teacher, the, the idea that he's getting across to the disciples and consequently us today is this. He teaches, he teaches us through the word that we have recorded, but he teaches with an expectation of obedience. This is, this is not just mere transmission of knowledge that Jesus does throughout the Gospels, throughout his life. There's an expectation of obedience on the receiver, on the hearer of what he has told us. And so he says, I'm teacher and I'm Lord. Lord continues on with sort of this master or owner or authority type figure. And Lord in the New Testament here connects back to, if you're in your Old Testament scriptures, you often see things like the Lord or the Lord your God or the Lord God. All of that is the Old Testament Hebrew word Yahweh. And when we see Jesus defined as Lord in the New Testament, it is an intentional connection back to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, for Jesus to stipulate that indeed he is God. This is really important. This lordship of Jesus is very important. It is central to the message of the gospel of salvation. I want to, I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2 for just a moment. Acts 2 Peter is, is giving the, the famous uh, uh, sermon of the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, beginning verse 36 through verse 39. Let all the house of Israel therefore know that certain, know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter wraps that message up by essentially presenting the gospel. And yes, he includes this understanding of what it means to be saved by our, from our sins. But understand he bookends it with the idea or the teaching that Jesus is Lord. In, in, in Paul's writings, in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, Paul says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And so I want us, to, I want us to, to grasp today how important this issue of Jesus here in John's gospel and then throughout the rest of the scriptures identifying himself or taking on the title of Lord is. When we share the gospel, when we, when we evangelize, we often begin and end with, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe Jesus died to forgive you of your sins? And I'm not discounting that as an important piece of the gospel. Peter includes it as he wraps up his, his sermon there in Acts chapter 2. That is an incredibly important piece of the gospel. But understand, that is all couched in the lordship of Jesus Christ. We, we tend to think, I believe, that we can have Jesus as Savior, but not have him as Lord. The Bible doesn't give us that option. And, and when we look at the, at the state and the affairs of the modern day church, uh, I don't, I don't not, not just necessarily speaking of, of PBC, but just of our church scattered across the world, particularly through the Western country, over and over what you hear from people is this lament. We are not making disciples. We're not seeing disciples made. We're not seeing people walk in the, the deepness and the trueness of the scriptures and what it means to walk deeply with Christ. And that's because we've put so much emphasis on being saved without also emphasizing this now means he's Lord. Paul doesn't say if you confess with your mouth, mouth that you got saved. He says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We're not here to make converts. We're here to make discipleship. Disciples. The mission of the church is discipleship. And discipleship is seeing people get saved that they might understand that Jesus is Lord. And so what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? It means that our whole lives are his. Just as Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, purchased Israel, saved them, ransomed them, redeemed them, brought them out from Egypt, and then repeatedly said through the Old Testament, you are now my people because I've done the work. You are now my possession. So too has what Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection done the same thing for all who call upon his name. I know we don't like to talk about this or speak in this way, but he owns me. He owns you who are in Christ. And that means there is nothing in our lives that he is exempt from. And so the first question for us as we prepare to take today, is he really teacher and Lord of my life? Am I, am I reading through his words? Am I, am I reading through the Gospels? Am I reading through the remainder of the Scriptures that all point to Jesus? And am I taking those things and receiving and hearing them and, and following obedience as a teacher like Jesus demands? Or do I seek justification for, well, I'll follow these things, but I'm not going to follow these things? Is, is he Lord of my life? Is there any piece of my life that I just continue to kind of hold back from him? If someone were to, to be able to follow you and me 24-7, would there be any little nook or cranny of our lives that they would go, eh, they don't really look like Jesus is Lord there. Is he teacher and is he Lord? Secondly, are we his servants? Look again at verse 14 and we'll follow it up with verse 15. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Look at verse, 15, or verse 16, the first part. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So as teacher of the Lord, Jesus uh, begins to spell out what he's just done. If I, your teacher and Lord, have, have stooped so low, if I, your teacher and Lord, have, have taken the position of servanthood before you, disciples, then you ought to do that for one another. Because a servant is not above his master. In the last few months, as we've been going over all these one another's, I've, I've stressed, at least I think in my mind I have, maybe I haven't, but I, I feel like I've stressed that in all these things of the one another's, servanthood to one another is, is the foundation. Like, like we're, we're not going to love one another, serve one another, be clothed with humility to one another, bear with one another, unless we really truly look at ourselves as serving one another. But understand this, serving one another can only be built upon the foundation of where we're serving Jesus. If I try to serve you and you try to serve me, but neither one of us are really seeking to serve him, I can promise you our earthly service to one another will not go very far. He says he takes on this lowly task. And, and remember, the, remember the Old Testament cultural teaching I gave you right at the beginning. It was the host's position to supply water for the guests to wash their feet. Or if they had servants, it was the servant's responsibility to wash the feet, right? Understand what Jesus does here. He's hosting the dinner, but he, it's not his home. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus sending the disciples off to another home. Uh, Luke actually record the, records them as Peter and John and says, Go and find this home and tell them we're coming and have him prepare the upper room and have him prepare the Passover and, and we're on our way. So he sends a couple ahead of him and they're coming. So it's not Jesus' own home. So what that means is, number one, the master of the house should have been responsible for the washing of the feet of the disciples. At the very least, he should have offered water for that to happen. But given the fact that Jesus talks about that there's an upper room, likely means that the master of that house, the owner of that house, was very wealthy because he had a double-decker. And so he likely had servants who would have done the feet washing. So just, just look, if you will, if, if with me, if you will, verses 3 through 5 there in John 13. In a situation where Jesus was not responsible for either providing water, in a situation where the master of that house's servants were probably responsible for washing the feet, look at what John records. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I want you to look at two things really quick. It says, verse 4, he laid aside his outer garments. So that there are some who believe essentially he just stripped down to what we would say is underwear. There are others who say that he stripped down completely. But nonetheless, whether it was underwear or completely, that's still a pretty vulnerable situation, right? And taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he either then removed the towel that was his covering, or at the very least, as he's kneeling at their feet, he's taking the excess of the towel and wiping their feet. But don't miss what he does. What the master of the house should have provided, what the master's servants should have provided, Jesus provides. 
He takes the role of the servant. He takes the role of inferiority. He assumes it and doesn't leave it for someone else to do. And in doing so, he teaches a servant is not greater than his master. There are some who take that, that saying and say, well, of course not. There's a dynamic there, a servant, a master, and yeah, that, that's right. That's not Jesus' intent with this phrase. Jesus' intent with this phrase, by doing what he's done, is to say that if I as master, if I as teacher, if I as Lord, take the role of the servant, then you as a servant, disciples, you as a servant, all who ever trust and faith in me, you are not greater than me, and therefore you should also take up this for one another. In other words, he's, he flips the script. He says, if I'm willing to do so, you who say you follow me are in no position to say something is beneath you. You who follow me are in no position to say I'm above that task, whatever that task may be. So we ask the question, point two, are we as servants? We've been talking about serving one another for months through all the one another's. But understand the foundation all that's built upon is are we his servants? Are we his servants? Are we, are we willing to look upon his example as master, teacher, Lord and submit himself in that inferiority? Are we willing to look upon his example and then say to ourselves, we move away from a life of self-indulgence and self-expression and self-satisfaction and self-entitlement? And move towards a life of serving others in the same humble stance? Are we as servants? Thirdly, are we as messengers? Look at the end of verse 16 there. It says, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The word translated messenger here is a word that's often translated apostle in the New Testament. And so what has occurred throughout the history of the church is there have been this sort of uh, teaching dynamic that says, oh, well, some of Jesus' commands were just meant for certain people. They were just meant for the apostles. They were just meant for the, for the 12 or for the 11, and then the one that was added in in Acts. And, well, we'll include Paul in that because Paul saw him, and Paul did great things. And So, yeah, the, the, the reality of it here is later on in the Scriptures, in places like 2 Corinthians 8, Paul will talk about this group of brothers who have been with him on ministry, and he calls them messengers, using the same Greek word that's translated sometimes apostles. And so what the Scripture begins to really tell us is Jesus' words are not just simply used for the disciples' intent here. Uh, the Great Commission is not just simply given to the disciples. These things are given to all collectively who would believe in Christ Jesus and put their faith and trust in Him and declare Him to be Savior and Lord. And this idea of it being a messenger is one who goes and does something on behalf of or on the interest of someone else. The way we kind of use it in our modern day is we might use it as an ambassador or an envoy. If you hear of someone who's an ambassador from one country into another country, they, they go into the other country and they serve in that country, but they serve with the interest and the, the focus being on what benefits them back here. And so what Paul will go on to tell us in the New Testament is those of us who are in Christ Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. So every person in Christ Jesus now becomes this messenger. 
And what Jesus says here is the messenger is not above the one who sent him. If Jesus was sent, and he was, the the entire next few weeks as we go through Christmas, we're going to be talking about this understanding of Jesus being born, this theological word of the incarnation, which means he came to be one of us. All that is because of the sending of the Father. He sent the Son to bring the kingdom. And if the, mess, if the messenger is not greater than the one who sent him, then we are not greater than Christ. And so we all become messengers. We all become people who are responsible for the faithful witness and the sharing of the faith of the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, I want to read to you beginning in verse 1. Stephen is being killed in Acts chapter 7. It says in verse 1, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now, that's really very key, okay? The church was scattered except the apostles. Now, I want to jump down to verse 4. Now, those who were scattered... Okay, are you piecing it together with me? The church was scattered except the apostles. Those who were scattered, which means the church, went about preaching the word. You know what the word for preaching there is? The word we get our word evangelize from. So make this connection with me, folks. Great persecution. So it'd be like great persecution coming upon Frankfurt and everybody who was a Christian being scattered except for all the paid staff. And instead of the church being scattered and going, oh, the apostles aren't here. What are we to do? Luke records, those who were scattered began preaching. Began being a messenger. Look to your neighbor to your left or your right in front and back and say, preach that thing. Do it. Preach that thing. Because that's what you're called to do. You're called to be a messenger. You are called to take out of what you receive in these places, in these times, in Sunday schools, in times of small groups. You're not called to come here and absorb all this and go, all right, well, I did my religious stuff for the week. He is teacher and Lord. He is servant. He is the one who sins. And we become servants and messengers Because that's what he was. All those who were scattered began to preach. Now, I know what kind of of terror that brings, right? (laughs) I don't don't know enough. I'm not not well versed enough. I don't don't know Greek words or Hebrew words. okay, Okay, then do what you know. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he forgives you? Do you know that he never leaves your side? Do you know that he takes you through good and through bad? Have you seen evidence of what he's done in your life and in other people's lives? Go with what you know. We become messengers. That's the third question in your bulletin. Am I a messenger? Yes. 
Am I sent? Yes. Am I supposed to evangelize? Yes. Why? Because of this. Again, he says, the messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. You and I are not greater than Jesus. And Jesus came to bring the message. And so the messengers of which he came to bring the message to, who have their lives changed, can't go, well, that's not my responsibility. Because the one who came says it is. Why are you a messenger? Because it's too good to keep to yourself. Think about all the things you share on a weekly basis. You share recipes. You share ways to do crafts or ways to fix things. You, sh you share hints. You share directions to good restaurants. You share directions to good fishing holes. Maybe. You might keep that to yourself. Um, like, just think of all the things in a, in a daily, weekly setting that you share with people. Why? Because you want to see their life enhanced by those things. You want to see their lives, change, their lives changed. You want them to experience what you've experienced. What we have in Jesus is infinitely greater than everything else we share on a daily or weekly basis. Because recipes and fishing holes and things we fix and things we craft and good restaurants and on and on and on, those things are all going to fade away at some point. They are of no lasting value, of no lasting legacy. Are you a messenger? Am I a messenger? Yes, because we're not greater than him, because what we have is so valuable. And I do want to give you sort of a very sobering third response to that. You are messengers because you and I will have to give an account for our lives one day before the Lord. This is what the scripture says in Romans uh, chapter 14. I asked you last week to read all of Romans 14 in response to last week's message. And so uh, if you did, maybe you read this. But if not, as he's talking about passing judgment on one another, he says this in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, the judgment seat, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, the judgment seat of Christ in chapter 5, that all of our works before the judgment seat of Christ will be laid bare, and they'll either surpass in the fire or survive the fire or be perished in the fire. Now, you, you, don't, you as a Christian, I as a Christian, don't need to be worried about that judgment seat because that judgment seat is not about heaven or hell. Heaven and hell was decided for you when you gave your life to Christ. But there is a judgment, there is an account that we'll have to give to the Lord of what we did with our lives after he saved us, after he became Lord. And there's some people that say, well, I think in that day, Jesus said, well, how many people did you save? I don't think he's going to say that. You know why? Because you don't save anybody. Well, how many people did you lead to Jesus? Well, I don't think he's going to say that either because you know what? In the in this theological understanding of the scriptures, you and I don't lead anybody to Christ. The Holy Spirit leads people to Christ. But I think what he will ask of us in his own loving, fatherly way will be, what would you do with what I gave you? The, the parables and the gospels are rich 
with Jesus teaching in various places, to whom much has been given, much is required. Are you his messenger? Yeah, you are. It doesn't mean you're going to preach on Sunday mornings. It doesn't mean you're ever going to lead a, a, a rally somewhere. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that through your life, through my life, through everything that we have, we are to lead others, point others to him. Verse 17, to close up. As Jesus teaches all these things in verse John 13, he says this, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. How many people want to be blessed? Don't lie in church. Don't lie anywhere. But you want to be blessed, right? It's a promise from, from Jesus through, throughout the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Blessed are you. And he lists all these different things, right? Like God wants to bless you. And when I say bless you, I don't mean that he necessarily wants to bless you materially or physically or, or with finances, but he just wants to bless you, to bless you with his presence, to bless you with his power, to bless you with seeing the work of the kingdom come in your life. And what Jesus says, if, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So conversely, if we don't, then we don't experience the fullness of God's blessing. In Kent Hughes' commentary on John 13, he says, what Jesus does here is he proves that we are, quote, people of the towel. People of the towel. Because the teacher, the Lord, the one who sent, becomes the servant and says to the disciples and says to us, what I've done for you, you should now do for one another. Is he teacher and Lord? Are you a servant? Are you his messenger? Those are the things to ponder today as we prepare to remember his work on the cross. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.